Hi, and welcome to Untethered with Genless, the podcast that's here to help you break free, be you, and unleash your inner brilliance. I'm your host, Jen, and in this episode, we're going to talk about how to grow into the highest version of yourself by healing your unresolved neurological wounding. Let's dive in. Hey there, unicorn. It's Jen. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's interview, we have an amazing guest, Glenn Cohen. He is a master neurological life coach and the founder of the Center for Neurological Intelligence. Over his many years and many experiences of coaching thousands of people, he has helped them to heal their unresolved neurological wounding so that they can grow into the highest versions of their selves. Glenn's calling is truly to share his passion and his knowledge and discoveries with the world. You can tell in this episode how much he loves what he does, how passionate he is about this. He has come to this through his own lived experiences and looking back at his life and moving through this in his own ways. We talk about a very specific moment when he was a child that impacted him and how it showed up for him later in life and his entire journey. We also dig in very much to how do we notice, how do we heal things like shame, one of the big things that so much of of us deal with. What do we do about judgment? How is this showing up our unresolved inner world, this inner child, the unresolved wounding, he calls it. What do we do with it? Even if we recognize it, how do we heal it? One of the things I love, of course, is that he talks about nervous system regulation. He talks about the breath and the way that these things come into this process. So I know you're going to gain so much out of this conversation. Everyone, welcome to the podcast, Glenn Cohen. Hi, Glenn. How are you, Jen? Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you here, and I already love your energy. So I know that this whole unicorn crew is going to absolutely uh, love everything that you have to say. So you are a master neurological life coach. And I know that a lot of my listeners have done lots of mindset work. I personally am a mindset and breathwork coach. So we're pretty steeped in some of these things, but you've got some very interesting ideas. And so I'm excited to dive into your your topic and what you love to speak about. So I'm, I would love to start with, because I'm a huge peanut butter fan, Glenn. <laughs> Jif uh, <laughs> in particular. I'm very picky about my peanut butter. I know it's not the healthiest peanut butter, but it is choosy. Jen's choose Jif. It's the only peanut butter for me. I heard that there is a peanut butter story that you have. Would you be willing to share with us what this peanut butter sandwich has to do with what you do today? So in the introduction of volume one of my life's work, I tell a little bit about the globalness of how I got to July of 2003 when I began this journey. And there were a couple events in childhood that were very neurologically wounding. And 80% of our wounding that I've observed with my clients comes within when we make sense of the external environment in a way that we imprint onto ourselves. 
So I had gone through all the these experiences, and I, in my desire to find connection and significance, tried to get that need met by lying to a group of guys my age who are bicycles. I mean, we're probably 11, 12. And that I told a little white lie about me being with a woman back then, I guess, a girl. And of course, they immediately called me out extricated me from the group, told everybody just shame. And then one day I was so upset with myself. I stood in my bedroom and I had a full length mirror and I stood looking at the reflection of my face and I had a peanut butter sandwich in my hand and I smashed it against my face. And I said, I hate you. And that stuck with me until my, adult years in variations where I split myself in that moment. The, the intensity, the neurological intensity of that moment literally fractured my nervous system. And then I spent many, many decades in different ways validating that belief that I wasn't worthy enough, smart enough, good enough, whatever the inherent belief is, because we're validating machines. So the unconscious mind has to validate itself depending on what we chose to believe, usually early in our programming stages. And so that's where the story comes in. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So probably most of us have not had a a peanut butter sandwich in the mirror moment, but we've had moments like that where we hate ourselves. We feel like there's something that we did that we, we have that moment. And what you said, something that you said, I would love to kind of double click on. You said we do this to ourselves. What do you mean by that? What did you mean by that statement? Most of the time. Now, this is outside of, so neurologically, neurological wounding comes in two forms, external, internal, but of course you can have both. Yeah. Right. Incest, an accident, financial disaster, uh, natural disasters, death, those are the external influences that can really imprint onto our nervous system. But the most of the time, people go, oh, yeah, my childhood was fine. No big deal. I don't remember anything. But what they don't remember, so I have, I'm an acronym junkie, so I got to tell everybody that up front. I got hundreds of them. But it's my way of of of, of explaining the, and giving people anchors they remember. And one of them is the NSI nervous system index. And it's a way for people to quantify what's going on inside. And it's zero to 10, 10 being the highest. So in the moment as a, you know, five, seven, nine, 11, 13 year old, did you have a perception where your nervous system went to an eight, nine, 10 for a period of time? And then in that intensity, you made a decision about what something meant to you which then becomes a belief. And there's two types of belief, fear that's external to self and shame internal. And shame is very toxic. It's like cancer, it metastasizes and it infiltrates stories throughout the lifeline. And so we kind of do that to ourselves. Now, other people can say that like, I tell the story in the book, when I was around 10, 11, my father looked at me with his furled eyebrows 
and told me my ideas were pie in the sky. Well, that set my nervous system into the stratosphere, but had I had different references, I might've looked at him and said, you know what? I really don't care what you think, but I wasn't able to process it that way. I wasn't meant to. I was meant for it to rock my system so I could tell that story because I spent the better part of 50 years trying to unwind all that and understand how it got there and understand how to unwind it with myself so I can work with other people to do the same. Because I'm that's my likeness is, is to help people unlock their full potential so as they go through this amazing journey of life, they gain neurological freedom to be the best that they can be for themselves. Yeah. So one of the things that it sounds like you're saying is recognition that all of the things that we have been through have supported us to get to this place. Is that a similar way of saying what you're saying there? Absolutely. I don't regret anything that's ever happened in my life. Everything happened for a reason to bring me to where I am. It's it's like, uh, and I tell a lot of people this, and I write one of the books, uh, Debbie Ford, God bless her. She, you know, she passed away a few years ago, and she she did an audio book. It wasn't in book form, audio book, called um, Answers Lie Within You. And she told the story, the metaphor of the oyster. And you know we struggle with an oyster, and it forms this pearl inside. And we have to do our work in order to claim our pearl. But when we do, our purpose is to give it away, you know, and serve the greater good. And so I, that's everything that's happened to me has led me to where I am to give that pearl away. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really powerful metaphor that helps us to understand, you know, the why, the why of the things that we have been through, because we can get really caught up in that why, which then creates, it's like, it's, creating that shame cycle all over again. I think there's a lot more awareness about shame, maybe just in the past couple of years than there used to be. Do you think that, what are the main things that you think are holding people back? Is it that shame or is it the, is that just one part of the wounding that you speak about? You're talking about that unresolved neurological wounding. That's one piece. So when you look at neurological wounding, you know, and a lot of people have different names, inner child. So I look at wounding. We have, we have the inner child. I call them nubs because I got to use my acros, right? Neurological unresolved bundles. Because as human supercomputers, all we are is energy and information. That's all we are, right? The question is, does it flow or does it get a virus, right? So we, we can have it in childhood. We can have it in adolescence. So we can have it in adult lives. We can always fracture our nervous system if we... If, I, if we activate the system to high enough level, frequency, intensity, and duration, right? So inherent in that wounding are two things, the painful emotions and the disempowered beliefs. So it's got energy and information to it. Now, when we fracture our nervous system, that part of metaphorical, that part of us needs protection. I think the main elements that people have a, a problem with is they won't recognizing themselves permission to have multiple personalities. We all have multiple personalities. It is the normal human experience. It's not a diagnosis. We all do it, right? So we create these multiple personalities to protect us. You know, 
but we created them a long time ago. <clears throat> and as we all know, the unconscious mind has no concept of time and space. So it still thinks we are 6, 8, 10, 12. It has no idea we're 30, 40, 50, 60s, right? So when we perceive danger, real or imagined, the unconscious mind doesn't care. It'll activate that system and a shift will happen. And how many times have you in your lifetime had been very fine one second? You have a perception, a shift happens inside, and you start thinking and acting like either a child or reptile, and you feel much younger than you are in that present moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Never mo- thought of it that way, Glenn, but yes. We've all done it. It's normal human experience, but that's the doorway right there in that moment is our little one crying out for us to reclaim him or her in order to bring them home and love unconditionally. So we bring ourselves and reclaim our original innate wholeness that got fractured out throughout our life. Okay. If we can, maybe for an anchor, bring ourselves back to that peanut butter moment was that your child acting out and throwing the sandwich or where where is this happening for us and do we intercept it or (laughs) what do we do what do we do well at that moment i was a child i was only 10 11 years old so that was that was me yeah that but as adults what i teach is when the unresolved gets activated, there is, we have to have a strategy. Everything's a strategy, right? So the very foundational technique is stimulus gap choice. So when we get triggered, it's a stimulus. The physiology of the body changes. And we're going to feel a sensation somewhere in the lower five chakra regions, throat, heart, solar plex, gut crime. It'll be unique. We felt it before. It's like our unconscious mind hitting the doorbell going, yo, wake up upstairs. A shift is about to happen. But of course, most of us never pay attention because we're on an autopilot. So there's a nanosecond between the stimulus and the choice. So the choice is either you react to it or you respond to it. Reacting is getting reactive. And either we go rigid, shut down, move away, chaos, shout out, move against. And of course, when we get reactive, it's always about us. We be, we're all narcissists in that moment because it hits the brainstem and we turn into reptiles and it's safer danger. Of course, we're in danger. So we're in survival mode. Of course, we're going to make it about us. That's natural, right? But the secret is if we can notice that stimulus, and then use some of the strategies and tools to increase that gap of time. Um, are you familiar with uh, Tara Brock's work from the Mindfulness Institute? She has a wonderful acronym called OWN, Observe, Witness, Narrate. So without her permission, I borrowed it, but I give her credit in the book. So if you can observe that going on in the body and witness and go, whoa, would that be, right? And you kind of have fun with it. You keep it light. Right. Cause that's heavy energy. So you kind of get, you bought three to five seconds. Use your breath. There's nothing greater to move energy around than your breath. It's free. Right. So I teach my clients the four, six, eight intentional breathing technique. 
to move out energy using neurological instruments, active imagination, back it up, things like that. So when you can be mindful in that moment, 10, 15 seconds, and you can get your nervous system back below a level three, you have the chance to make a new choice. We're validating machines. We humans are patterned by repetition. We all imagine, right? So we can do this exercise and this strategy over and over. Guess what? We rewire the mind, create a new pattern, and change the reference that led to the belief that triggered the body. Mm. That's where change really happens. So it does change happen in the gap, in that gap between the situation and the choice? The change happens after the choice. But it's got to, you got to repeat it multiple times because young Katsumai is not going to believe it. You know, there's a, there's a quote that um, repetition is the mother of all learning. And it's true. Um, think about driving a car, right? When you first drove a car, you were really nervous, right? But then you focused and you did the pattern of driving at a very high level of focus, attention, and awareness. And then one day, Thereafter, you drive from point A to point B and you get to point B and go, wow, I don't remember driving. You train your unconscious mind to do it for you. It's just a pattern. We're just pattern machines. So people have these beliefs. And I like to say that all beliefs are real, but not necessarily true, right? They were real when we created them, but they might not be true anymore. So we need to have a strategy to challenge it. So inside the gap, in volume two, section two is the first technique I teach called the M&M technique. And inside that tech, one step is called the challenge question. What would I have to believe in order to feel this way? So the premise of neurological intelligence is all emotions are evoked by meaning. You can't have an emotion without a meaning. And you are the mindful manager of your meaning machine mind, whether you do it consciously or unconsciously. And of course, 90% of the time, it's unconscious. So the, the base coding software. So I do everything really simplistically. If it's empowered, it's green. If it's disempowered, red, right? So we have 70,000 thoughts a day on average, 80% the same as yesterday. So if 80% of that 80% is red, you're going to keep repeating it. But if we can just take a little bit each day and play with it, over time, we're going to start to move the needle. Nothing, it doesn't happen overnight. You got to get uncomfortable and you have to work for it. Yeah. Can you define the, the M&M again? Sure. So M&M is monitor and modify reactive patterns. Okay. So when we get triggered, we need something to put inside the gap. Well, first you have to recenter the body refocus the mind and reframe the belief. Those are the three parts of that technique. So you have to get your NSI back below a three. If your NSI is above a six, which is threshold, you're hijacked, right? Your protective personalities are screaming upstairs, yakking away, this, that, and the other, and you believe everything you tell them. So we, we can't reframe anything as long as we're being hijacked. You know, we're in distress. So we have to get our NSI below a three, come back to our mindful, empowered self and go, hmm, that's really interesting. And we get curious and inquisitive. 
So it's all about how can we evaluate our inner world, not judge our inner world. And you think of shame, shame, it just comes from judgment. <laughs> Whether the judgment is external of self or we judge ourselves. I mean, in that moment, I put the peanut butter sandwich in my face. I judged myself. Nobody else was there. I was totally self-inflicted. Yeah. And if you had been curious instead and had been more evaluative, that could have been an entirely different situation. Which probably never would have happened than an 11-year-old. But now, when I get triggered in my adult life and I catch myself using similar language, oh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. That's a, wow. So I always tell people, protect your ID. Your internal dialogue is the most precious thing you own. And when our unconscious mind will believe whatever we tell it. So part of my journey was changing that inner language and really getting quiet upstairs. Because really the only thing upstairs is good for is, you know, business and strategy and stuff like that. But day-to-day living, I'd rather go with my mind. Yeah. And thank you for allowing me to keep going back to that peanut butter moment. Because I think it's helping to piece this together for people who might be having this experience, but they're trying to understand the inner child versus the me today. So the me today, it's like those thoughts that we're having in our mind, that internal dialogue, the ID that you mentioned. Imagine if those things were being said to that 10-year-old child who had this moment where he had felt so hurt and ended up judging himself and, and throwing the sandwich. We can imagine if those are the things that we were saying to him. I, how cruel nobody would say those things to right. a 10-year-old well, consciously. <laughs> well, um, there are, I, uh, everything's 80-20, you know, 80% of parents do absolutely the best they can. They have their own childhood neurological wounding. God bless them, yada, yada. But 20%, eh, you know, we have to hold people accountable. So we got to make that yeah. distinction there. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, right. The differentiation is in our adult lives, when we get triggered, do we recognize that we're being hijacked? So we have three aspects to our inner world. We have our younger versions who are fractured, carrying this energy and information. And then we have the, I call them pods, personalities of offensive and defensive strategies we created protecting them. And then we have this highest version of self. I call it Mel, mindful, empowered leader. That's the true heart and soul of all of us. And we all know when we're there, we just want to stay there. But when we get high, but that's that's the journey of life, the healing journey, you know, the hero's journey with uh, Mr. Campbell. So when we get triggered, I like to tell it, there was a story in one of the books. Imagine yourself in a foxhole. 10 feet deep, eight feet wide, and you're face down the dirt and you kind of look up and there's 10 of your pods standing there at the top of the foxhole, full battle gear, Navy SEAL, big guns, body armor, and they're yelling at you, stay down, stay down, stay down. It's dangerous out there. Well, their job is to protect you at all costs. So the internal dialogue is filled with their voices Design to protect you because they still think you're seven, eight, 10, 12 years old. And you, you, and they, they don't want to treat you to get triggered by the emotions that are inside that bundle and have those beliefs come true. 
So you listen to them. Now, remember, everything is context-related. So the way you might show up in your friend's group is different than a committed love relationship, might be commit different than with your family, different, you know, different in your professional life. Everything's context-related. So the unconscious mind filters it by context. So you start to do your inner work, right? And you start really connecting to this higher version of self. And one day, you get the courage. And you slowly start to stand up. And they're, yeah, they're going nuts. They're going bananas. Oh, no, 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 no. And you stand all the way up. And you look around and you're 50 feet from the Caribbean beach. And there's a chair waiting for you with your favorite cocktail. There is no battle scene. There is no war. We just believe it in that moment. So we have to have the courage yeah. to get really uncomfortable. You know, it's like Sheryl Sandberg's famous book from many, many years ago, Lean In. We have to lean into the uncomfortableness in order to stretch the boundaries because we're so much more than we think we are. But we, we, we create an identity of who we think we are. And the more wounding we have, the more limited that identity is because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. But of course, mm-hmm. we're going to attract people into our lives or our committed love relationships to poke those patterns because that's our number one job. We find the perfect person to poke up patterns in order to make us uncomfortable, get us reactive. So we learn to flip the finger this way to this way. And we say, thank you to our partner. Thank you for holding up a mirror. Now I know exactly what I need to do to heal myself. That is such a paradigm shift, what you're sharing about that right now with relationships, because there's an opposite thought that is quite normal where people say you attract the person who is worst for you in some way. But what you're saying is that that is the best person to potentially help you grow because they're they're poking the the things that will support you. One of my one of the best quotes for me that has really been life-changing from one of my mentors is never waste a trigger because there's it's a moment for you to look inward. What if we do waste the triggers? <laughs> and I know that's not your words, but what if we don't look at those triggers? What happens? There'll be another one, right? I love your simplicity. <laughs> here's a, here's a, here's a really great anchor of awareness. But listen, please be kind with your mind. If you miss a trigger, don't beat yourself up. All you're doing is repeating the pattern and you're, 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 you're adding fuel to your own woundedness. Be kind. Okay. You're human. You're imperfect. We all have our special, unique brand of weirdness. We're all perfectly imperfect. And I call it living by the law of 80-20. We strive for 100. We're grateful for 80. And we manage the in-between because we're never going to be perfect. It's impossible. We're humans. Oh, we're so fallible. What a relief. Right? So when it comes to our committed love relationships, it's all about the Imago attachment complex. So Imago comes from Harville Hendricks how we pick our partners and you add the attachment theory to it and it explains everything. It's amazing. Every, every couple I've coached over the last 20 years has some element of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see it for myself at even as you share it. And I personally feel some really beautiful relief in what you share. Like those, those triggers, those things are coming back around. We're poking one another because it's opportunities for us to grow. I mean, that feels very simple and it removes the the shame and the you know for for not being perfect and for not noticing every opportunity every opportunity that we have um so thank you thank you for that that's really really lovely yeah it's very empowering 
You know, it's it's all about self-empowerment. We choose how we make sense of things. We choose the meaning. I can assign meaning that my committed part love partner did this to me and da da da. They, she made me mad, you know. Or I can say, you know, what is it that triggered inside of me that got me to be so reactive based off of what I perceive? So, you know, if you when I talk to couples in the very first session, I go, okay, let's be honest here right now. What percentage of your challenges inside the we are about reality versus perception? 98%. So we get triggered, you know, we're reptiles. So I like to call, we go to the D's. We defend, deflect, debate, dismiss, deny. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's just what we do. We're really good at that. We don't go to the A's where we are available. We attune, align, assure. We don't go there. We go straight to the D's. And if you know, if you go get D's in your report card, you're not going to do well. You know? I love that. The A's and the D's. It's very simple. And even as you're listing those things, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I go there and not there. Get triggered. When we get triggered, we go to D's. We got to depend ourselves. Yeah. Everybody has their own way of doing it. My husband and I, I'm just going to use an example. We got in an argument the other night and we have been, communication has been something we've been working on very deeply over the past couple of years. And, you know, but still these, these arguments happen, right? So we get into a little tiff and we separate rooms and I go and I take a few breaths and I realize that I can attune. And align and the other the other A is I got to the A. It's like I was in the D and I took a few breaths and I got to the A. Can you tell us what's happening in that gap? I can't tell you what you did, but what I can tell you what I think you did is you reevaluated how you made sense of it. You went inside, took responsibility for your inner world, and you chose to refocus from D to A. And you chose to make it about him, not you. The only reason we go to the D's is we make it about ourselves. So in volume three, which will come out over the summer, which is for couples. So that'll be the third one. I teach the mindful discussion technique. And in that technique, it's a very structured approach on how couples share energy and information. So when y'all got in an argument, all you're doing is sharing energy and information, right? So there's two people, a sender of energy and information and a receiver. 90% of the success of that technique is on the receiver. And the number one rule, they can never make anything about themselves. The hardest thing for people to do. Yeah. I mean, I can feel how hard that is. (laughs) Right? But when you can really be a mindful receiver and allow energy and information to flow without being judgment and no Ds, it's amazing the flow that happens. And then when you can ask questions around a formula that I have in there and you go deeper into the other person's experience, you start to gain safety, certainty, and trust, the base primal attachment needs with your partner in such a way that your partner can answer the primary attachment question with a yes. And that question is, are you there for me the way I need you when I need you the most? And when your part, when your unconscious mind asks, can answer yes, you have no problems. Your nervous system will stay below a three. Okay. 
Hey, let's talk about very quickly about the nervous system. And I just to follow up that, here's something that I realized in this conversation with him. I'm laying there. I had so much resistance to being in that state of understanding and of listening to him. I could feel, I could feel the physical resistance of my, I think maybe what you would call pods, like screaming at me, you can't let him win. You can't let him win. You can't let him win. And so, so that's I, but yes, but then I got, as soon as we opened up the conversation and this always happens, but it, it's still so loud. It's still so loud. The resistance. Once we opened up the door to that conversation, it was like, oh God, this feels so much better. This just feels so everything relaxed for both of us, but there was golly, there's so much resistance. What's happening with our nervous system? It, I, I'll tell you what was happening in your nervous system in that moment is 93% of how, and if you, if it's okay, I use you and your husband as uh, pronouns and example, 90% of how you and your husband make sense of each other is nonverbal. 7% of your words, facial expression, speech pattern, body language, energy emission through the mirror neuron system and breathing patterns. Somehow you perceived a nonverbal cue from your husband that got filtered through a reference that was danger, activated your nervous system. You felt the stimulus in your body. Now, if you can kind of float back in time, where did you feel that throat, heart region, solar plex, gut groin? Where was the origin of that? Yeah, throat and gut. Throat and gut. There you go. So those those are your markers to go, whoa, slow down. Then you can start interrupting the programming, right? So the throat represents metaphorically at some point in your early life, childhood, adolescence, you weren't able to speak your truth. And you had to cap it. And that's why it's stuck there. Now, the fun part is when you metaphorically put an image on it, is it red or black? Quick, answer, Pat. Is it red or black? Yeah, the metaphorical image of whatever's stuck in your throat. Quick. Black. It's black. Probably sadness then. You felt there was a sadness around whatever that perception of the, I call them innies, impactful neurological experience that's stuck there that you perceived in some nonverbal cue from your husband that was reminiscent of whoever it was that was the antagonist of the wounding, which triggered the implicit memory that activated the inner world, triggered the nervous system physiologically. Now your your, your little girl is exposed. Your pods had to come in and protect you. So they bring all their Ds in here And they're talking to you, okay, let's get ready, battle time, right? Until your Mel showed up and go, wait a second now. Let me just take a break here, take a breath, lower my NSI. So that's what you went through. Thank you for walking us through this. I think that's really helpful for anybody listening. And my husband and I are always willing to air our... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> air our stuff. <laughs> um, but that's been so for me, I've done so much of this work in my career and focus there. And so it's so interesting how it can come up in a whole different way in our relationships because relationships was that's the place that I've avoided for so long. 
to be fully transparent with every like that is my place that I've just avoided. And now I've in the recent times started to turn inward on that, seeing like how I'm showing up in relationships is impacting the rest of my life. Of course, how you show up in one thing is all things, but we still like try to put a, you know, little cover on that one area we don't want to face. <laughs> um, but it's time for me to face it. So it's fascinating to feel these things that have come up in my throat and in my gut in my career. And I've worked through them. But I'm noticing, oh my gosh, it's like it feels like the same thing, but in relationships. Do you see that? Is that a thing that happens with people? And it nothing will trigger it more than a committed love relationship. No. And you never work through it. You desensitize it, but it's a wound. But it'll always be there. But what was once would trigger you to an eight, nine, might be a two, three. If it's anything from a three below. That's just being human. You get upset, you get pissed, you get whatever. That, we're allowed that. But when we get above three and we're approaching six, we better wake up, right? Because that's when damage occurs. I call that's when we inject negativity, obstruction, turmoil, and conflict in the space of whatever the we is, whether it's committed love relationship, a uh, parent to a child. Because, I mean, children can trigger your unresolvedness in a big way. Unfortunately, we all do it as parents. There's no way of getting around it. You just try to minimize it. But we get really uncomfortable and our energy gets uh, awakened. We metaphorically project that what we protect. So we, we, we kind of take that old junk and we throw it right back at our children without even knowing we're doing it. And it's unfortunate, but it's going to happen. But if we can minimize it and catch ourselves and use our children's mirrors and say, you know, we can interrupt the programming because so many of my clients who have younger children, I tell them my number one responsibility is to get them to end family legacy. Because we do, we do, we pass it down. We're humans. That's what we do. So there's, oh, there's always some um, disempowered family legacy, thought, emotion, behavior story that gets passed down to one of the kids in some way, shape, or form. If I can get parents to do their work, and to heal, then they're not as triggerable. And so they're not going to throw that energy back at the child with as much frequency, intensity, duration to wound that child so the child then does it to their child. So that's another angle of my work that I, I really focus on to end that legacy. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think there's also looking back and realizing we can have so much compassion for our ancestors who passed things down and then compassion for ourselves realizing, oh, these are simply things that have been been passed down, you know, time after time after time and with my awareness I have I'm empowered to interrupt that and to shift that and to change that. Absolutely and, and in my work I deal well, I do dabble in other areas, but for the purpose of my books and everything else. From the third trimester to now, right? The human nervous system that you occupy. But let's not kid ourselves. We have these things called genes and DNA, and we have lineage, and there is no doubt in my mind, I cannot scientifically prove it, but people are working on that, that patterns get passed down. But in the world of epigenetics, we are learning that through the power of mind and focus and attention, we can influence the expression of certain genes which display as patterns, 
So there's multiple ways we can come at this. So I like to think that neurological intelligence has an impact on that because we're changing the way we're looking at things and we're changing our patterns. So it's going to have an impact, I believe, on the expression of the red genes. So we enhance the green ones and unexpress the red. Yeah, I thank you for bringing it to epigenetics. I find it really fascinating and also the idea of it so empowering because it gives you the power to shift things because the the belief that something was simply handed to us and I have this because I have this and there's nothing I can do about it is incredibly disempowering. So the idea I, gets me really excited and people like you who've been doing this work You've likely been proving it over time, right? Like we we know because we see it and we experience it. Um, and it's it's really cool. Thank you, by the way, for allowing us to go into my experience with my husband. And I hope for the listener, we can all relate to these same things. If you've ever had a committed partner, if you have children, you can relate to these relational things that come up, how it triggers our nervous system and what you're sharing is what we can do in order to intercept that and to to shift into the greens instead of the reds. I want to acknowledge your courage to being vulnerable, open, and real with your listeners and with yourself. You know, there was a movie that came out when I was very young called Gremlins. All these little guys, you know, and they multiply at night. Gremlins disappeared whenever the sun came up. Darkness can never live in the light. And I acknowledge you for shining light in areas of darkness to share with your people and to share with me and to facilitate your own healing and growth. And I think it's beautiful. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I'll receive that. And I think it's important that we all, as we feel comfortable, start to speak our truth about these things. I think it does come down to the nervous system and working at the pace that feels really good. It sounds like you are re you're saying very similar things in in that realm, like meet yourself where you are, keep moving forward, keep following that light. And that can there, it, that will always lead us to better places. So I love but that idea. Of the to be uncomfortable though. Ooh. Yeah. Don't stay in the comfort zone. You can't grow there. But to, at your pace, lean in, lean back, lean in, lean, but keep moving. We can all, we're, we're always more than we think we are. Ooh. So wherever your spirit, your purpose leads you, keep leaning in. Yeah, that's powerful. You can't believe everything you tell yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, um, what do you think is the number one thing that is keeping people tethered to a life that? they don't feel like is meant for them, keeping them from stepping into the most brilliant life that they could live. Fear. You know, John Lennon had a great quote about fear and love. Uh, Gerald Leontowski also. But the grade, there's two forces in human nature, fear and love. If I'm focused on fear, I'm not going to focus on self-love and honoring myself. So it brings me to another anchor. I was working with a client one night, 15 years ago, talking to her late one night on the phone and she was going to another relationship and, and she wasn't honoring herself. And this, this acronym came out to me out of nowhere with this vision. Remember Betty White, sweet grandmother. She, in the movie, the proposal, she just give you a hug and she'd look at you and go, honey, 
Are you being enthusiastically true to you? So I call it Betty. Being enthusiastically true to you. When people are focused on fear and not loving them, they're not being true to themselves and they know it. But there is a reason they're struggling. You know, if you look at the hero's journey, you have to slay your dragon. And there's three opponents, the inner opponent, the intimate opponent, external opponent. And you have to go in the cave and get really uncomfortable, face your greatest fear and come outside, come out the other end and find your bliss, which is really your purpose for being on this earth. All right. You got to, you got to open up your, your oyster. So people don't believe in themselves enough. And a, they probably didn't have anybody teaching them that would, you know, empowerment. You know, if, if we believe we're a victim, then we believe we can't do anything about it. And if you believe that story long enough, you're going to live that story. And it's all beliefs are real, but not necessarily true. And if you really reevaluate it now, it's not true. So I have tremendous compassion, empathy, people who there is, there is a, um, a realm where people do get trapped, where they're not living their authentic lives because of external influences. So there's a balance here. So let's be respectful of that. But there is a, another uh, part of it that they can't express their trueness and they can't put up boundaries. You know, if you look at the five parts of codependency, you know, self-esteem, uh, boundaries, owning your knowingness, getting your needs and wants met, moderating your inner world, and you focus on those five realms, there's not a mountain you can't climb. You just have to be willing to climb. Mm. Mm -hmm. That willingness is that is big, and the fear can get in the way of that for sure. Thank you for that. That was really powerful. Uh, one last question for you, if you're willing, Glenn. Where do you see the magic in the world? Where do I see the magic? I see the magic in the little one's eyes who are totally open, vulnerable, real, and haven't been wounded yet. The joy and the smile and the the spontaneity, the the value, you know, um, my niece uh, had a baby in June. My nephew's wife had a baby in August. And just seeing the joy and knowing what I know now and looking back and just going, wow, I hope you get to keep this for the rest of your life. Well, if I can reflect back to you, I see a lot of that joy in you. You, and likely because of how much you have done with some of this, you have almost that really beautiful, open, curious, childlike um, sensibility to you while also having the all of the knowledge and, and expertise and everything. And I think that's rare. So um, thank you for coming and sharing. Actually, with us today. Uh, I did a awful lot of work and one day if you want to do it again i'll tell you the whole journey of, of how you name it i've been there done that <laughs> uh, i believe it <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything that you've shared today uh, you're welcome it was such a pleasure thank you for inviting me but even more so to opening up and sharing you yeah i appreciate that you're welcome thank you so much one last question. Um, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you and work with you? Thank you. So my website, center4ni.com. 
has everything to connect. Um, I'm on post social media, yada, yada. But the website is where you can look for one-on-one coaching or my future workshops because I'll be doing workshops, individuals, couples, in-person, online. I really want to create a coach training certification in this modality. That's coming down the road. Awesome. And all of the links are in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Glenn, you can. Thanks again. Thank you so much to Glenn for coming on. And I hope this episode really made you think about some of the things, a a couple things. Hope it made you think a little bit and hope it helped you to feel validated, to feel seen for some of the things that you yourself have experienced and to offer yourself compassion for the place where you are at. And number five, to feel empowered to feel empowered that no matter where you are on your journey, you are exactly where you are meant to be. You have all of the skills that you need to move yourself forward. You can go and resolve that inner world and support yourself in moving forward and therefore share that oyster, that pearl with the world. Thank you so much for joining this episode. Stay tuned for Thursday where I'm going to pull out a little thread from this episode and share it with you so that we can dig a little bit deeper into this episode. If there was something you really loved about this episode, I invite you to share it with a friend or you can always take a screenshot of it and put it on social media share it with all your friends. If you tag me and Glenn, we will reshare your posts. You can find our handles in the show notes. I'm Untethered Jen on Instagram. You just keep shining your magical unicorn light out there for all to see. I'll see you next time. Bye.